Okay, so welcome. There's a whole lot of fellowshipping going on in this room. That's awesome, girls. So uh, in case you haven't noticed, I'm not Connie. Connie's not here tonight. Um, She and Pastor Jeff are at a well-needed little rest and getaway. And so we're going to pray for them that they would just be blessed and um, just be refreshed in the Lord. And that we, in the meantime, the Lord would bless us through his word. So let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, we just thank you for this night. We thank you that you are here, that your spirit is here to speak and to move and work in each of our hearts. And we thank you for that, Lord. We want to hear from you, Lord. We want to grow and be more like you this day. We do pray for our pastor, Jeff, and for Connie, that you would be with them while they're away, that you would refresh them and renew them, restore their minds and Restrengthen them for the battle that um, is ahead of them as they come back to us, um, just renewed and restored in you. And we just thank you for them and pray you would continue to do great and mighty things in them and through them. And so, Lord, be with us now as we get into your word. And I pray that it would not return void, but it would accomplish many things this night. We thank you that it's alive and powerful. And we just want you to know, Jesus, that we love you tonight. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, tonight we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 7. And I um, shared earlier today, um, when we found out that we were doing the book of Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah, there's so many wonderful little tidbits and nuggets in the book of Nehemiah, and it's just awesome. And so I was thumbing through all the different chapters and like, wow, this is going to be so good. And then I came across uh, chapter 7 and I said, Oh, wow, what a bummer for Connie. That's a lot of names. And uh, so, you know, I'm feeling so bad for her. And then a few weeks ago, lo and behold, Nene says, Hey, you want to fill in while Connie's away? And I'm like, Oh, I'd be so blessed. What chapter are we doing? Chapter 7. So I just thought, you know, the Lord has a great sense of humor. So anyways, Nehemiah chapter 7. Yes, it's about 70 verses of names, but we can do it. So I kind of summarized this chapter as I looked at it. I just put for Nehemiah, he's at this point in his ministry in his life that I just wrote down, he's completing the work, he's going to choose leaders, and they're going to carry on. And that's kind of the picture here that we're going to see in chapter 7, is uh, that's what Nehemiah is about to do. So we're going to just pick it up in verse 1, and it says in uh, verse 1, it says, After the wall was finished, and I had set up the doors in the gates... And um, again, Nehemiah's work is basically complete. The wall is done. The task has been completed, and Jerusalem is once again surrounded by a wall. And remember last week as we looked at chapter 6, we saw that the wall was rebuilt, but they had not yet hung the doors in all of the gates. So when you think about the purpose of a wall, people build walls to keep intruders out, to protect against those that might bring harm. They build walls to keep loved ones and loved pets in and safe and secure and nearby. So when you think about a wall that is not done, the doors are not hung, there's gaps in their spaces, and it's not going to be very protective. It might be decorative, but it's not going to be very protective. And that's exactly why Nehemiah wants to see this job finished. And he's not going to be deterred until the job is done right. And you know, for me and for you, there's a spiritual picture there as well. It's the same with us with the wall of our hearts. 
God wants to protect us from sin and from evil and from harm. And if we settle for undone gates in our heart, big open gaps and spaces, we allow room for the world or even the enemy to come in with temptation, with harassment, with distractions, discouragement. So we need to be to, we need to beware. Instead, we need to follow Nehemiah's example, and we need to allow the Lord to show us those gaps and spaces that need to be filled up and sealed by his Holy Spirit for our good and for our protection. So it says that he finished the, the, the wall was finished, and he even had set up the doors in the gates. And it goes on to say <clears throat> that the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. So Nehemiah is kind of satisfied with the wall. It's completed to his, um, what he was hoping to do. So his next order of business is to assign duties and to appoint leaders. And I love this whole picture because the Lord hadn't called Nehemiah to merely reconstruct a wall. He had ultimately called him to reconstruct a nation and even more so to restore his people. And again, I love that because in our lives as well, God's not just about fixing us so that we're not big, fat sinners. He wants to do more. He wants to restore and renew. He wants to use us. So he's always wanting to do something more. So let's look at the appointments that Nehemiah put into place. The first group was gatekeepers. In some of your versions, it might say gatekeeper or porter or watchman. These were the ones that were um, set up in a way that they were to look out and watch over the area. They were to be guarding the gates, guarding the wall, guarding the area that surrounded them. Their job was protection. The second group is the singers. They're like our, our girls tonight. They're the worship leaders. They're the musicians. Their primary function was to um, encourage the people and to lead them into praise. The last group is the Levites. They were the priests. They were the spiritual leaders. Their job was for purity of the people, to declare God's law and to um, implement it among the people. So those are the people that Nehemiah put into place. And, you know, as we look at that picture, isn't that just exactly what each of our hearts needs as well? We need that spiritual wall around our hearts where King Jesus will live and reign. We need a heart that's protected from the temptations of the sin in this world, just like the gatekeepers did. They they brought protection. We need a heart of praise that rejoices in the Lord, our Savior, with thanksgiving to be grateful for the things that God has done for us, just like the singers. And we need a purified heart that is made clean by the washing of God's word and that is refined for God's use, just like what the job of the Levites was to be. And that's what a restored heart looks like. That's what a heart looks like that is a place where Jesus is abiding and ruling and reigning. It's the place where the Spirit of the Lord dwells and resides within us. I read a a little quote by J. Vernon McGee, an old-time pastor, and he said that he had this motto up in his office, and it said this, joy is the flag that is flown in the heart when the master is in the residence. And I just love that quote because that's the picture here. When our hearts are protected, when our hearts are pure, when our hearts are full of praise, there's a flag of joy that full Uh, that flies over that, letting the world know, hey, the master is in the house. And that's the picture of Nehemiah, what he is trying to accomplish here in Jerusalem. The wall is complete. The master is there dwelling amongst the people, and the flag of joy is, is flowing over above that city. 
So moving on into verse 2, it says, I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. Again, there's some really awesome little um, things here for us. This first guy, Hanani, it says that he was his brother, and the more I read, it kind of got a split decision there. Some people felt like he was his, actually his blood brother or a real relative, but some people felt like he was just a brother in the Lord. But what I really like about this guy is that he was actually the original person that went to Nehemiah to tell him about the condition of the city and the condition of the wall. If you were to flip back over to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that verse, those verses tell us he was the guy that came to Nehemiah in the first place and said, you got to come do something. The wall is apart. It's burned down. It's ruined. The city is terrible. you got to come and do something. And so he was kind of the one that prompted Nehemiah to get involved in this project in the first place. So it's kind of really fitting that he would be one of the leaders to carry on as Nehemiah is kind of phasing out of his job here. The second guy that we see is Hananiah. He's uh, Nehemiah's second choice for a leader. It says he was the commander of the fortress. But even more important than that earthly position or title, it says something really awesome. It says, he was faithful and he feared the Lord more than most. You know that word faithful, it means to be trusted, reliable, loyal, true. And just as we learned last week about the Lord our God, remember in Deuteronomy 7, 9, we read this about the Lord. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful. That will never change. He will always be faithful. We can do our part by loving him and keeping his commandments, by obeying his word. We are to be imitators of God, and we need to be faithful just as he is. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. I like that verse because it says it's required. It's not suggested or recommended. It's required. So if we truly want to be uh, daughters of the king that are, that are walking faithfully in the Lord, we need to be just like the Lord. Everyone might have a different job to do, a different task, different things that the Lord has called you to, but we all must be faithful. It's required. So you might ask, okay, well, how can we be faithful or trusted or reliable or true? Well, Hananiah's second characteristic gives us a little clue. It says that he feared the Lord more than most. You know, Nehemiah was an example of what it means to fear the Lord. Think back about a couple of weeks ago, we were in chapter 5. Remember, we talked about all the corruption that was in the leadership. There was greed and dishonesty. There was unfairness to the people. Kind of sounds really familiar to today, huh, in our world. But Nehemiah called them out for it. In verse 7 of chapter 5, he said, I rebuke the nobles and rulers. In verse 9, he said, what, are you, what you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? In verse 15, he goes on to say, The former governors who were before me, they laid burdens on the people they took from them, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Nehemiah chose the fear of God over the fear of people, over the fear of man. So you might be wondering, okay, what is the fear of God? What is the fear of man? It sounds a little scary, huh? 
Well, Psalm 34, verses 11 through 14 tells us. It says, Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a, long, a life that is long and prosperous? Anyone out there want a life that's prosperous and long? I do. Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. You know, the fear of the Lord is simply a healthy respect and reverence for God Almighty. It's a sense of awe and for his majesty, for his holiness. It's just an awareness that of God our Savior that causes us to behave in such a way that our ultimate desire is to please him and to bless him, to obey him in whatever we do. It's not the type of fear that involves terror or dread or this you know, like feeling like, oh, God's going to get me if I do something bad. Rather, it's a choice to love God and to honor him while choosing to hate sin and evil. Our Heavenly Father is not abusive. He is never abusive. There's no need to dread him or be afraid of him or fear him in the way that we hide and run. He doesn't correct to tear us down. No, his desire is to build us up. He doesn't rebuke us or expose the worst things about us. Um, to, to tear us apart, no, his desire is to bring out the best. You know, think about that kind of little mantra we had a few years ago, maybe a lot of years ago, WWJD. But, you know, what would Jesus do? And when you think about it, that's a picture of the fear of the Lord. It's simply an awareness that he is with me wherever I go. Jesus is here wherever I go. I want to obey him. I want to bless him with my thoughts, my words, my actions, and even my attitudes, I want the Lord to be pleased with what he sees in my life. You know, a verse in Proverbs kind of sums this up. One seven in Proverbs, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The choice is really clear. Do I want to be wise or do I want to be a fool? Well, I want to be wise, and that begins with the fear of the Lord. Another great verse is in Job 28.28. It says, And this is what he says to all of humanity. The fear of the Lord, that is true wisdom, and to forsake evil is real understanding. You know, I really like that verse because there's a couple great things there. He says it to all of humanity, not just the leaders, not just the pastors, not just whatever. All of humanity, from the president down to the most lowly person, the fear of the Lord, that is true wisdom. You know, this is free education here. You don't have to go to a seminary. You don't have to go to Harvard or Yale or anywhere else. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. If you want real wisdom, just start with the fear of the Lord. And to forsake evil is real understanding. Don't you wish our politicians and the people that are governing over us knew that? If they would walk in the fear of the Lord, just think of what our world would be like. It would be an amazing place. You know, when I was first saved, I heard a message by a lady by the name of Joy Dawson. And she did this message. It was on the fear of the Lord. It was just, an, it really impacted my heart and my life. And she had us look up and find and study any verses that were in the Bible. And I would encourage you, if you ever t- have time and you have nothing better to do, don't turn on the TV. Do a study on the fear of the Lord. Any verse that says the fear of the Lord, to fear God, they feared God, it is amazing how many verses in there. Almost as many names is in this chapter, but there's actually even more fear of the Lord verses. But they're amazing. There are, 
the verses are almost like an, a mini instruction guide on how to live a godly life. They teach us how to build that godly wall around our hearts to protect ourselves from the evil and the darkness that is out there. If we want to become more like Jesus, we must walk in the fear of the Lord. You know, I just wanted to share a few of these verses. I'm not 73, don't worry. But there are some godly characteristics that go along with fearing the Lord. When we choose to embrace, I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to see what that means. I want that in my life. I want to possess that characteristic in me. Listen to what happens. For one thing, it'll make you compassionate. Leviticus 19.14 says, You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You know, this world kind of measures up, and if, if you don't measure up perfectly, then you're kind of down here, not up with the, the real people. But the Lord doesn't look at it like that. He wants us to have compassion. We're all his children, and the fear of the Lord will help us have a healthy respect for that kind of a thing. It'll also teach us reverence. Leviticus 19.32, You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Do we not live in a society where there is absolutely no respect for authority, respect for people that are wiser or older? That's just not even around anymore. And yet, it's a healthy thing to learn because when we can respect those that are over us, we are really quick to be able to respect the Lord who is ultimately over us. So that's something that we learn when we choose to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord also teaches us fairness. Leviticus twenty-five seventeen. You shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Boy, wouldn't our nation be in a very different place if people had taken heed to the fear of the Lord and not oppressed other people, not had this attitude? Think of our world that I am better because of this or that. No one's better. We're all the same. You know, the New Living says it like this. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord your God. If we would simply not take advantage of one another, think of what the world would look like. And that is a picture of living out the fear of the Lord. Another thing that the fear of the Lord does, it, it really can develop real, true leadership. Leviticus twenty five forty three says, You shall not rule over them with rigor, but you shall fear your God. Again, the New Living says, Show your fear of God by not treating them harshly. If we treated one another the way God wants us to treat one another, the world would be a wonderful place. And yet that is the attribute of what it looks like when we choose to fear the Lord. We will be different than everyone else. We will treat people with respect, with honor, with with compassion, with fairness. Even though the world doesn't act like that, we will be different. Another attribute is thankfulness. 1 Samuel 12, 24 Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Again, as daughters of the king, we're called to be different than the world. Rather than complaining about everything that's going wrong and everything we don't like about the election and the impeachment and blah, 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 we can think about and be reminded of all the amazing things God has done for us. And if you can't think of any right now, Just rejoice that you're saved. You're going to heaven one day and rejoice in that. And then the the list builds from there. But we can consider the great things the Lord has done for us. Here's another good one that fear the Lord. Proverbs 8, 13. The avoidance of sin. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Do you know when we hate evil, 
it'll help us not to sin. So if you want to safeguard against sin, choose to hate evil. Find out what God says is evil. Find out what God doesn't like. And then say, you know what? I agree with God. I hate that too. We're not called to hate people ever. Didn't you love Pastor Jeff's message on Sunday? For those of you that were here, he did such a great word about we're never, ever called to hate people. We're not called to hate homosexuals, not called to hate other nations or nationalities, but we are called to hate sin. And that will be a safeguard to help us walk in the fear of the Lord. You know, King Solomon is known as one of the wisest men that ever lived. And these are his words from a really wise guy. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everybody's duty. I like that. That is, it's everyone's duty. Take a look at the world around us again. Most of the people you see are not walking in the fear of the Lord. And what do you see? We see pain, injustice. We see greed and dishonesty. We see corruption. But that's not the way the Lord would have us to walk. God has a better way for us. He, has a, he wants to use us as his lights. Look at what he says in Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. That's what the Lord wants to do. When we choose to walk in the fear of the Lord, not only is it the right thing to do, There's blessings for us in it as well. It says in that last part that it might be well with them. As we obey the Lord, God blesses us. Because remember, someone just told us in Ecclesiastes, it's everybody's duty to walk in the fear of the Lord and obey his commands. Now, not everybody's doing that, but it is our duty. It's it's what we're supposed to be doing here in this world. And God says here in Deuteronomy, and not only am I blessed when you do it, I'm going to bless you. It's going to be well with you. And, you know, I just had a few more fear of the Lord because, like I said, I, there was, like, hundreds of scriptures, so I just had so much fun. There's more benefits and blessings for us when we choose to walk in the fear of the Lord. Look at what Proverbs 14 tells us, verses 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. We can be confident women when we walk in the fear of the Lord. And his children will have a place of refuge. When life is hard and things are thrown our way, we have a place to run and hide for safety. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. You don't know more beauty treatments. We don't need the secrets to the fountain of life. We have it when we walk in the fear of the Lord. To turn one away from the snares of death. You know what? It is an evil world out there. There is a real enemy, and he is, just like we see with Nehemiah, he is out to cause people to stumble and fall. He would love to see us get tangled up in the snares of death. And God says, when you walk in the fear of the Lord, you will be turned away from that. You will be protected. Here's another promise of rewards for us. Psalm 128, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Everyone that takes God serious at his word, you're going to be blessed. Who walks in his way. This means you're going to obey what he says. You're going to align your decisions with God's will. I like that. We're going to be realigned with God when we walk in his ways. Look what it says. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. I like that. You shall eat the fruit of your labor. All your hard work is not wasted. There is going to be benefit. You're going to partake of the blessing of all your hard labor. So don't give up. You shall be blessed. 
and it shall be well with you. Don't you just love that? God is going to bless you for doing what it's your duty to do. I like that. You get doubly blessed. It's our job to do it, and God blesses us for it anyways. I just think that's awesome. Another reward verse that I liked, Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you. Again, ladies, isn't that awesome to know? He is going to pour out his goodness. It's great. He's got it stored up for you because you choose to walk in the fear of the Lord. He's got things prepared for you you don't even know about yet because he wants to bless you simply because you're obeying what he asks you to do. I just think this is so awesome for us. Look at this one. Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The Lord sees our needs. He knows what we have need of. And because we walk in obedience, he is going to take care of those needs for you. He is going to make a way when there is no other way. That is the God that we serve. Here's another good one. Luke chapter 1, verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. How many of you need mercy today? We need mercy every day. We are still big fat sinners, I'm sorry to say. And we sin and we stumble and fall every day. Even though we say, I am going to walk in the fear of the Lord. I'm going to do this right. Then tomorrow we stumble and fall. And But you know what? When we get back up, this verse tells me his mercy is on those who fear him. When I say, I messed up, but Lord, I'm going to choose to obey you. I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. He pours out his mercy upon us. He washes us. He cleanses us. He gets us back up on track. And it says from generation to generation. So that means it goes on and on and on. You can never use up his mercy. It, there's, it's new every morning if you need it. Let's look at this verse in Isaiah 33.6. This is what it tells us. The fear of the Lord will be your treasure. Isn't that an awesome verse? You don't need 401Ks, you don't need Ira Ross and all that other stuff that, you know, it's here today and then something happened in the stock market and it's gone. The fear of the Lord is a treasure. Ladies, it's a treasure for us. The world doesn't have it, so it's, it's your treasure. Unless they choose to obey Jesus like you're obeying Jesus, it's a treasure from the Lord. And it, it offers protection and like all these things, protection, blessings, confidence, a fountain of life, goodness, He's going to meet all of our needs. All of those blessings come to those who fear the Lord. You know, Nehemiah and these other guys, they experienced these blessings. Even in the midst of captivity and opposition during a very hard project of rebuilding this wall, God was there and he helped them along the the way. You know, we were talking about this morning, they finished this in 52 days. 52 days. Construction projects don't go that well ever. And yet God was with them and he blessed them. The wall was done, and now it was time for them to rebuild within. You know, it seems like the enemy never quits. As we read through Nehemiah, we're going to see the enemy continuing to try to bother and hassle them. You know, he couldn't stop the wall, but that doesn't mean he doesn't give up trying to sneak in and cause other opposition. And you know what? For, for us tonight, as we choose to walk in the ways of the Lord, it's no different for us. The enemy is still out there. He's still alive and well. And though he may not be able to stop us because that we declare, I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord, he's still going to be there trying to nip at your heels and, and throw little discouragements and stumblings and opposition in your way. So we need to beware. I read this great quote by um, Charles Spurgeon, and this is what he said. He or she who fears, the, who fears God 
has nothing else to fear. I like that. He who fears God has nothing else to fear. So even though there is an enemy and he is out to try to stumble us and cause us commotion and try to get us off track, when we choose to fear God, we have nothing else to fear. God is our protector. He will get us through. Look at what Psalm 18 verse 30 tells us. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. So even though there's evil and there's darkness out there and there's an enemy who tries to hassle us, God's way is perfect. He has proven his, his promises to be true, and he's a shield for us. He will protect us. You know, this week, um, if you're doing your one-year Bible thing, we kind of got into Exodus uh, just the other morning. I thought, oh, this is great. This is going to fit in perfect with what we're talking about. In the book of Exodus, remember, um, there was a pharaoh. He was a bad pharaoh, and he didn't like the Israelites. And again, um, just amazingly, the Israelites were, they were slaves to the Egyptians at that point in their, their world as well. And this Pharaoh noticed that the, the Israelites were growing in number, and he got a little nervous about that. So he made this decree. Okay, when the Israelite has a baby, if it's a girl, you can keep it. If it's a boy, you know, off of his head, you got to kill it. So listen to what it says, though, in Exodus. This is awesome. Verse 17, chapter 1. Sorry, it's not up there, though. It says, but because the midwives feared God... They refused to obey the king's orders. Isn't that awesome? Because they chose to walk in the fear of the Lord. These little midwives stood up to the mighty and powerful Pharaoh and said, nope, we aren't doing it, because they feared God. They refused to obey the king. They had the power to say no. And isn't that an awesome thing for us, ladies? Because the same power that they had is available to us. When we choose to walk in the fear of the Lord, we can say no to sin. We have the power to stand up to the great and mighty Satan or, you know, whatever evil comes against us and say, no, I'm not doing it. I don't fear you. I fear God. I love that. And they allowed the little baby boys to live. And then in verse 20, listen to what happened in the book of Exodus. It says, so God was good to the midwives. Again, the same principle. They're obeying, which is their duty to do. And God blesses them for it. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. So the very thing Pharaoh th- thought he was going to you know, ruin about the Israelite nation, it kind of just worked backwards because God kept multiplying the Israelites. And then finally in verse 21 of Exodus, listen to these midwives. It says, And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. I just think that is just so sweet because, you know, for you and for me, When we do what God asks us to do, these midwives were just doing their job. They were just delivering babies. They weren't theologians. They weren't pastors or pastor's wives or evangelists. They're just midwives. They're delivering babies. And yet they took a stand for the Lord, and God used them, and he blessed them, and he gave them families of their own. I just, I love that because it's just, again, an encouragement for you and for me. When you do what God's called you to do, whether you're a mom or you're a coworker or you're an employee, you're a boss, you're a student, whatever your place in life right now, do what God's called you to do, but walk in the fear of the Lord and watch and see if God does not bless you and do great and mighty things through you. It's just an awesome principle. So, okay, verse 3. Okay, yes, yes, we are going to finish the 73. Don't worry. Okay, it says... This is Nehemiah speaking, and I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors. 
So Nehemiah is busy appointing more jobs and positions and assignments to the people. And he, he makes this a little like declaration, okay? Don't, um, don't uh, lock the doors at night. I don't want them unlocked in the nighttime. We unlock them in the day. And even in the day, you guys need to guard them and look over them. You know, 1 John 1, 7 tells us to walk in the light as he is in the light. To, in order to avoid the darkness of sin and evil, we need to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Remember, these captive Israelites were reaping the consequences of years of disobedience and sin of the Lord. They were captives because they had disobeyed the Lord and got into all kinds of evil, idolatry, and all kinds of stuff. But they returned to Jerusalem in hopes that God could forgive them and restore them. Nehemiah needs these captives, these restored ones. He needs them to be faithful in walking rightly in the fear of the Lord. They needed to avoid darkness and any sin. They needed to walk in the light. You know, Isaiah 2.5 tells us, Come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. When we walk in the light of Jesus, we will not be stumbled by the darkness of this world. That's just a principle. It's, it's kind of like uh, physics. When we walk in the light, we're not going to be stumbled in the darkness. Now, when we get off track and we're not completely in the light, are we going to be uh, susceptible to the darkness of the world? Yes, we are. So we need to walk in the light. It's a true safeguard for the wall of our hearts as we choose to walk in the Lord. In the, <clears throat> the second part of verse Three, the B part, it says that he appoints the, resi- the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve at sentry points and some in front of their own homes. This is a cool little picture here when you think about it. He's appointing guards. Everybody's got to do their part. Some of them are going to be like at these stations that are kind of looking out over the wall and the gates and their particular section of Jerusalem. And some of them are just going to be in front of their own homes. You be here, you be here. So Nehemiah is making sure that everyone has a job and that every portion is guarded and protected. A couple of things I noticed here that I really liked. It said they had to be residents. It said appoint the residents of Jerusalem. They had to be living there. Only those who had returned to Jerusalem, those who were abiding by faith and the hope of restoration, could be used in this job of guarding Jerusalem. And I love this picture because all of us have fallen short and sinned, every single one of us in this room. But the ones who return to Jesus believe that he can forgive and restore and renew. The ones who make a choice to follow Jesus and abide in him Those are the ones that Jesus wants to use. I love that picture. So as we walk in the Lord, even when we fall down, even when we stumble in sin, we get back up and return to the Lord and allow him to continue his work in us. Also, I noticed it says that some of them were sentry guards watching out for the whole city, while others had to watch over their own own home. Again, I like that picture. because. And then it says, but everyone had to watch. It's a picture of a sentry guard. When you think of our pastors and our leaders at the church, their job is to watch over the flock. That's what they're called to do. They are kind of like the sentry guards. And that's uh, what they do. They protect the flock from the darkness of this world. And Pastor Jeff is quick and, and faithful to proclaim the word to keep us in a place where we can be walking in the light. But each of us must guard inwardly our own personal home, to have the, the home of our heart, Each of us has that job individually. 
You know, I just started thinking for us, are there any gaps in the wall of my heart where the enemy can sneak in to discourage me or distract me or derail me? Are the doors and the gates of my heart closed and locked against the darkness of sin and temptation of this world? Maybe some of us need a little Holy Spirit gate check tonight just to make sure there's no gaps or spaces where the enemy can creep in and cause problems for us and stumble us. And the other thing I love is that everyone had a regular watch. So that means all of us have a job to be a guard, and we need a regular watch. Every day we need to be looking out. We need to be in the Word. We needed to be in a place where we're asking the Lord, help me to follow you, because when we don't, we make ourselves susceptible to those kinds of things. In verse 4 it says, At that time the city was large and spacious, but the population was small. And none of the houses had been rebuilt. I like that picture, large and spacious. It just reminds us that God's plans are always bigger and better than ours. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that. It says that now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. The great part is that even though the population was small, God is large. And he can still work in spite of our size. He will use the few, the faithful. Even in our weakness, God will always prove strong. In verse 5, it goes on to say, So my God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city, along with the ordinary citizens, for registration. I had found the genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah. God gave, him, God gave Nehemiah an idea. In the New King James, that reads, Then God put into my heart. I love that. Don't you love when the Lord puts something in your heart? When the Lord speaks to your heart, when you're in the Word or at a Bible study or something, and you're like, oh, that was just for me. That's the Lord putting something in your heart. When he gives you his thoughts or his ideas or his plans, that's another reward for those of us who choose to reverence him. Look what Psalm 25 tells us. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Again, Ladies, this is an exclusive reward for you and for me because we follow Jesus. The secrets of the Lord, the the world doesn't know them. They don't get to know them. But you and I get to know the secret of the Lord. He puts those things in our heart because he loves us simply because we obey him and we uh, follow him. So Nehemiah calls together the nobles and the leaders and, I love that part, along with the ordinary citizens, Even the ordinary folk like me and you get to be a part of this plan. I love that. It's not just leaders and noble people. Even the ordinary citizens get to be a part of this registry. And he reminds them of their heritage, of their genealogy. He reminds them of God's promise to them way back, Abraham, Isaac. And he reminds them that God is faithful. His word is true, and God will always bring it to pass. So then we move on to um, verse 6, and yes, we're getting to the list now. Um, And again, I just, like I said, you know, a lot of times we get to that point in the Word of God, and you're like, oh my goodness, all these names. And I'm being honest, sometimes I like, whoo, just breeze right by some of those names. But you know, sometimes I am reminded, the Lord put them there for a reason. He wants to speak to us. We're not going to read all 73, don't worry, we don't have that much time. But you know, sometimes there's things for us to learn in them. One thing that I see as we look at this, Nehemiah had to register these names, compile this list to remind them of an assurance and just a confidence in the Lord that 
you guys, each one of these families, you individually made a choice to come back to Jerusalem, to trust that God could bring restoration and healing and forgiveness. And so God honored them by putting them on a list. These conquered captives still had a future and a hope in God's sovereign plan. And you know, that's reassuring for me and for you as well. Because whatever sin that has conquered us in our hearts in the past, whatever things have held us captive, whatever consequences even that we might be dealing with even today from past failures and sins, the Lord Jesus died to give us a future and a hope. And he will complete the good work he has begun in each of us. He's not done yet. Verse 6 goes on to say, These are the people of the province who came back from captivity, of those who had been carried away, whom King Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his city. It's such a beautiful picture of repentance and restoration. Look at the action words in that verse. Those who've been carried away. You know, when sin enters into our life and we tolerate it and get involved in it, we get carried away, don't we? We get carried away from where we should be with the Lord. It says that they became captives. When we willingly participate in sin, we are captives to that sin. But God... He offers mercy and grace, forgiveness and restoration to all who receive it. It says in that verse that they came back and they returned. I love that word, returned. Maybe you can relate. Maybe today you've been carried away with some sort of sin. Maybe tonight you're a captive to some type of sin. Come back to Jesus. Return to your Father God who loves you so much, who wants to forgive and restore you. You know, chapter 7 is all about the, the people returning home. And it says that they built and they served and they gave and they worshipped and they guarded. All of those things, things that we should be doing as we walk with the Lord. They each did what they could unto the Lord. And then they watched the Lord prove himself faithful and good to them. Well, just a couple of highlights that I wanted to point out in these names, because uh, there are lots of them, but these are just my little fun facts. So you can look at these names yourself and find other fun facts. But first of all, I thought, okay, who's the smallest group? I want to know who the smallest group is. Well, in verse 28, that's the smallest group. It's the group of Beth Asmaveth. And, you know, it just reminded me that they may only be few, but they still got listed God will use any that come to you. So maybe tonight you feel insignificant. I'm the only one in my family that's saved. The only person at my workplace that knows the Lord. It's so hard. Be strong, girls, because you know what? This little group of 42, they were listed. God saw, God noticed, and God was going to restore them. Then I thought, okay, well, who's the biggest group? The biggest group is in verse 67, and they don't even have a name. It's the male and female servants, and there were 7,337 of them. I really like that. If we want to be great in God's kingdom, what do we need to be? The servant of all. Exactly. Just like Jesus said and Jesus did. The world may not notice us. They may not honor us. But you know what? God sees. He notices. He is well-pleased. The world's lowest class is God's upper class. I like that. You look at this list, and it talks about children and families and men and citizens, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, servants. But you know what? Each one of these people was an individual, and they were so important to God that he made a list, and he listed them by name. 
They all were known by the Lord by name. And I like that. You know, this same exact list is in the book of Ezra, chapter 2. It's almost word for word. Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries that kind of worked on this project together. So God listed these names twice. Isn't that a cool thought to think that their names were listed twice simply because they obeyed the Lord and returned to him with all their hearts? Psalm 112, verse 6 says this, The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. The righteous, those who lead by example, those who fear the Lord, those who walk in truth, who honor and respect their God, they will be remembered forever. So ladies, that's me and you. When we choose to walk in the fear of the Lord, when we choose to obey the Lord and be different than the the rest of the world and shine our light, God sees, and we are going to be remembered forever. Isn't that awesome? It's like, a, it's like a memorial, in a way, for us. And as we walk with Jesus, God sees us. We're not just an insignificant name on the list of millions. He cares for us. He knows us each by name. And today, if you're a child of God, a daughter of the King, a redeemed saint of the Lord, then your name is on the best list of all. It's in the Lamb's Book of Life. We, used, we did sing, we sing a song still sometimes, and the words are like this. I have a father, he calls me his own. He'll never leave me no matter where I've gone. He knows my name, he knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. And you know, I just wanted to close with this verse that I have up there right now, because tonight, Luke ten twenty tells us, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And that's what I love about Nehemiah chapter 7. These lists, these names, this genealogy. Um, It's not uh, something that just like, oh gosh, we have to read this whole thing. It's a reminder to us that as we walk with the Lord, as we obey him and please him, our names are written in heaven and that pleases the Lord. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this evening that our names are written in your book of life. We thank you that you take notice of us. You bless us for doing what we ought to do, and that's to follow and obey you. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for how much you care for us and protect us. Thank you for all the blessings that we have in you. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to minister this to us in these days ahead. As we live this out in the world, let us be reminded of your great love and your wonderful benefits to us. Now we pray as we talk about this in our groups, Lord, that you would bless our fellowship and just do speak wonderful things. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.